Welcome to Sibylline Podcasts, part of our insight series where we aim to provide relevant, timely and actionable analysis in a discursive format. We hope you enjoy listening and welcome any feedback. Please visit our website for more insight series updates. And as always, like, subscribe and share. Hello and welcome to the Sibylline Podcast series. My name is John Breen, Lead Analyst for Global Risk at Sibylline. Today, we are going to be discussing the recent events in Haiti after an earthquake with a magnitude of 7.2 struck the island, compounded by heavy rains from Tropical Storm Grace, which hit just days later. The combined impacts of two natural disasters have caused a death toll of over 2,200 people and has left at least 600,000 people requiring humanitarian assistance. President Ariel Henry has since declared a one-month state of emergency. The earthquake and tropical storm both occurred just over one month after the assassination of the former president of Haiti, Jovenel Moise. All three events are a familiar story for many Haitians who live in a country where history is littered with stories of political turmoil and natural disasters. Joining me on the Sibylline podcast today is Latin America analyst Ignacio Ayala and associate analyst for the America's Desk, Isabel Malin. Thank you both for joining me. Isabel, can you just give a brief overview for our listeners of the humanitarian impact on the ground in Haiti at the moment, please? Yes, thank you very much, John. So as you can imagine, the current situation in Haiti is devastating. And whilst the country is also used to natural disasters and is in fact still recovering from the catastrophic earthquake that killed more than 200,000 people in 2010, the impact of this earthquake that struck on the 14th, along with Tropical Storm Grace, has just added to and exacerbated the multifaceted social, economic and political situation in the country. The worst hit areas were in the southern peninsula, in the departments of Sud, Nibs and Grand Dance. It is important to remember that the earthquake has hit a country that has the highest poverty levels in the region and one of the highest rates of inequality globally. So given the already weak infrastructure in the country, the earthquake caused the collapse of over 700 buildings and the destruction of almost 400 homes. It also caused significant road and highway damage too. Also, over half the population are food insecure. So the greatest threat to civilians and aid workers continues to be the food and water security, as well as the risk of illness from contaminated food and water. There are also risks of mosquito-borne diseases, and there are already fears of another cholera outbreak, like the outbreak that preceded the 2020 earthquake. And this outbreak took more than 9,000 lives. Economically, the Haitian economy has been battered by multiple shocks since the middle of 2018. So even before the COVID-19 pandemic hit, the economy was contracting and facing significant fiscal imbalances. The political turmoil and social discontent experienced in the country in 2019, along with the pandemic, has caused the economy to contract by 3.8%, which has exacerbated the already weak economy and political instability in the country. This social discontent actually led to the assassination of President Jovenel Moïse, as you've just mentioned, and has also resulted in the postponement of elections, which further intensifies the political and economic crises. With these situations in mind, it is no wonder why Haiti is often described as an aid state, with more than 3,000 NGOs operating within its borders. However, Haiti has had a negative and often quite toxic relationship with international aid in the past, especially since the 2010 earthquake, where reports of agencies sexually exploiting victims were really common. And since then, humanitarian aid agencies have been viewed with a lot of suspicion, and the relationship between the two is rocky at best. So not only have we got these tensions, 
but also the humanitarian aid efforts are being hampered by the operation of criminal gangs in Haiti's capital, Port-au-Prince, who are likely to and are already exploiting the chaos, which will ultimately increase in the operational risk for humanitarian workers. And aid to the earthquake disaster zones in the southwest of the country has mostly been transported by air due to the security concerns as gangs and violence has flared up particularly in the outskirts of the capital and also Matissant, which is a neighbourhood that all ground transport must travel through in order to reach the disaster zones. And finally, this is also extremely more concerning when considering Haiti's kidnap for ransom crisis, where figures are steadily increasing. For example, the organised criminal groups such as 400 Marazo have previously engaged in high-profile kidnap for ransoms of foreigners, in areas such as Martisson, Delmas and Bel Air. So as I've detailed, the earthquake and tropical storm in Haiti has come after a sequence of very testing events and has perpetuated the internal crises in the country and undoubtedly will have social, political and economic repercussions in the short and long term. Thank you, Isabel. That was a very concise overview. Uh, Ignacio, I mentioned earlier that both natural disasters have occurred after the assassination of President Moyes. Have you any thoughts on the unraveling of events since the assassination and how will humanitarian efforts impact future government stability? Hi, John. Thank you for the question. Definitely the killing of General Moyes, the earthquake and the storm are aggregating pressures on the current political system. There's one way in which I usually define Haitian politics, and that is a power vacuum. We can see it as this trend from the dictatorship of Duvalier in 1986, which ended in massive riots and actually in the shooting of cabinet members. We can also see this in the end of the government of Aristide in 2004 with a right-wing coup from basically an invasion from the Dominican Republic of Haitians taking territory. Also, we can see this in the government of Prevalo, who was actually the first president who served the full term since Haiti's independence, which obviously shows the level of political crisis and power vacuum that Haiti has always suffered. During the second term of Preval, we saw the 2010 earthquake, which led to 3 million affected, over 100,000 dead, and basically destroyed the entire infrastructure that Port-au-Prince had, even though their country already suffered from an already poor infrastructure that significantly diminished the government's capabilities, both in security and to give public services to its population. And ultimately, once again, this deepened the power vacuum and increased the political crisis in the country. Taking one step forward, we see that President Jovenel Moise entered politics or like won the election and became president even though he was not formally part of the establishment, he had close links with the political elites in Haiti. He actually was involved before he was president in corruption scheme with ALBA, which is like Venezuela's regional project. 
this actually triggered massive protests in 2019. And he had also strong links with organized crime, such as the G9 Alliance. He further escalated the confrontation with the opposition parties after the 2019 protests. And he started ruling by decree since January 2020. So it's been almost two years without a, without a parliament. And that triggered massive protests in 2021, in the beginning of this year, which led Moise to give more power to gang leaders to be able to remain in power. So these gangs engaged in massive displacement operations in the capital, right next to the presidential palace, such as in the case of Belair, in which there was basically an operation. The neighborhood was sieged for several weeks by the G9 Alliance, and they displaced hundreds of people because they were opposition, uh, part of the opposition. While he was doing this, he also created a constitutional reform proposal to strengthen the executive branch and reduce the number of the elections. He further escalated the political crisis but by not allowing the opposition parties to be part of this committee that defined the new constitutional reform. And as we know, he was assassinated in July. So what we see that followed Moises' rule is, once again, a deepening of the political crisis and a deepening of the power vacuum that Haiti has experienced over the past 30 years. When President Moise was killed, initially, let's remember that Claude Joseph was the person who assumed the interim presidency because he was at the time formally the prime minister, the, actually the sixth prime minister of Jovenel Moise. But two days before he was killed, he named a different prime minister who's the actual interim president, Ariel Henry, and that led to significant pressure, especially international pressure, to make Joseph give the interim presidency to Ariel Henry, who is now the ruling interim president. He was named president and is still ruling by decree. Let's remember that the Haitian government does not have a parliament in the midst of this crisis. And after the storm hit, he started receiving more international support and international assistance, thus allowing him to be more stable. So basically, the impact of the humanitarian missions and increased assistance in Haitian politics can be defined basically in three points. So firstly, uh, the presence of foreign humanitarian workers and increased assistance and international awareness of the crisis and discussion of Haitian politics in international forums will temporarily improve government stability. So the president is expected to remain in office until he holds elections. This is expected to be in November. In the short term, the government will remain stable. And this is going to help all political actors because the stability is going to allow them to regain popularity in the midst of this crisis. In the medium term, we would expect that the humanitarian and international assistance will be used to pass a controversial constitutional reform, thus strengthening the, the executive and ultimately escalating the confrontation with the opposition, because let's remember the opposition is not in favor of this constitutional reform. 
And lastly, in the long term, we would expect the assistant not to heal the current power vacuum or the political crisis, because as we have seen in the past two weeks, state building missions are very costly and very inefficient, particularly when you're dealing with very corrupt leaders, as in the gates of Haiti. So in the long term, as I stated in the beginning of this question, I would expect the political crisis and the power vacuum to continue its increasing trend. Thank you, Ignacio. You mentioned the issue of the political power vacuum and kind of the humanitarian disaster that's obviously occurring at the moment. Do you see any implications for NGOs and businesses with operations in Haiti at the moment? Well, absolutely. So I want to highlight that there are three obvious implications for three different groups of people. So I do want to highlight the impact that this political and economic, this very complex crisis is going to have on Haitians because it's one of the things that it's most important from this crisis. The Haitian humanitarian and social crisis is really, really complex. And I cannot stress this enough, but at this at this moment, we cannot underestimate the enormity of the situation for the people in Haiti. So basically, while increased humanitarian presses will diminish the immediate impact of the humanitarian crisis, the Haitian economy is unlikely to regain strength as the severe infrastructural damage and lack of minimal basic public services are disincentive for people to invest in the economy. Thus, we would expect that the Haitian economy will remain at its minimal with low productivity levels and low capabilities of bringing more FDI to its economy and thus producing more jobs and improving the current humanitarian and social situation. On the security front, we would expect that there's increased criminal activity especially in Port-au-Prince, as we have explained previously, because gangs are expected to clash to take strategic spaces in the capital and in the country, particularly in the capital near the port, make sure that they have control of Martisan, as Isabel explained, leads to the south of the city and in the border with the Dominican Republic as human trafficking is a big business, big criminal economy in Haiti. Kidnaps are likely to remain a very high risk, especially for foreigners. So criminals are likely to target, directly target foreigners, thus increasing the risk for humanitarian workers in the short and medium term. And civilian looting, are also expected to remain a significant risk for both businesses, NGOs, and humanitarian workers. We saw a couple of months ago a mass of civilians burning Camp Lapiste and eluding everything that the humanitarian camp had. So we would expect this trend to remain. And on the third front, on the political front, even though the political stalemate will be resolved by the November elections, thus reducing immediate political pressures and creating a more balanced government, I would not expect these elections to solve the very complex political crisis that Haiti has been living for the past 30 years. And I would expect the power vacuum to continue increasing and thus 
the political and overall very complex crisis that Haiti is facing to deepen and get more complicated. Thank you, Ignacio. It certainly sounds like a high-risk operating environment for NGOs and businesses for the foreseeable future. Isabel, Ignacio, thank you very much for sharing your sharp insights on the Sibyline podcast today. We will now move to a forecast for events to watch over the coming week. In Europe, Extinction Rebellion are staging their Impossible Rebellion in the UK and their Nordic Rebellion in Norway. The Impossible Rebellion is taking place across the City of London, with large numbers expected following the publication of the IPCC report. Protesters will continue with targeted direct action throughout the two-week-long event, which will cause significant localised disruption at key locations across Greater London. In Norway, the Nordic Rebellion will target Oslo, with direct actions likely against oil industry and financial institutions, as well as the offshore oil and gas sector. In Asia, US troops will complete their withdrawal from Afghanistan by 31st of August, and the Taliban will accelerate plans to form a new government following the collapse of the Ghani administration. Many questions still remain about how a new Taliban government will function, with significant instability continuing to sustain the risk of violence across the country and the wider region. And looking further ahead on 7th of September in the Americas, protests will take place in the Brazilian cities of Brasilia, Sao Paulo and Rio de Janeiro. President Bolsonaro will likely attempt to flex support from security forces calling police officers and military police officers to attend the protests. Limited cases of violence are possible, but widespread violence remains unlikely. While we also have registered social media chatter about storming Congress, this still remains unlikely. That's it for me anyway this week. And thank you very much for listening to the podcast. And if you have any further questions, please do not hesitate to reach out and contact us at info at Thank you.